312-981-7200. Our favorite doc is back. Amita Health Internal Medicine Doctor. Jonathan Max is with us to give us the latest on COVID-19 information. Hi, Dr. Max. How are you? Hi, G. I'm doing well. Welcome back to you. <laughs> oh, no, well, evenings just aren't the same without oh. you. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're, you're, you're back on the air. Well, you're very kind. You know, I think you're a little biased there, so I appreciate it, though. <laughs> um, yes. So, Doc, you know, I... It, not to get off topic here, but it was very fascinating how much it hit home to me what it meant for, you know, I never really had thought about what elective surgeries meant. And um, yeah, it's, uh, the the some of the medical nomenclature is it doesn't make sense. And you have to you have to understand the way words are used. When people hear elective, it sounds like it's optional yeah. or it's, you know, it's well, you can if you want, you, right. you don't have to. It's kind of like when you go go to the dealership and buy a car. Well, you can get this tire or that tire and this part or that part. It's it's not really the same when it comes to elective surgeries. Um, and, and I'm glad that I'm glad that you're you're back on the air. You know, when I was listening to you, I I got to tell you, gee, it's it's really brave, and I think it's great for all of your listeners to hear your firsthand experiences. And um, you you really you really understand better when you're in the midst of it as a patient what what nurses really do and, and healthcare systems are really like. Um, and it's phenomenal that you're you're saluting uh, National Nurses Week. Thank you for that. And I have to thank all the nurses who are in your your listening uh, li- listening ship. Um, you know, I, I have to. I'd be derelict of duty, G, if I didn't say. Thank you to a couple nurses I know, though. For example, my mom, Aida, oh wow, worked worked as a registered nurse for over forty years, wow. and I have to say thank you to her. And I love you, mom. You know, it's uh, Mother's Day coming up. My sister in law, Giselle, is a nurse working these days, and I have two cousins who are nurse practitioners, Grace and Joey, and all of them are on the front lines. Um, and I have a cousin named Mimi who also works in the emergency room. And I, I speak with her maybe once or twice a month. And I got to tell you, gee, she has stories that you won't believe um, with COVID-19. And it's, it's really, really frightening, wow. but it's very heartening to, to hear what she does. And every day she's on the front lines to take care of people. Wow, if she ever wants to call in, we would love to hear her stories. I mean, and just it's because it's un, it's unreal just how much work they do, and and it's just across the board. The thing that's astonishing is just the spectrum of the work they do, from being just sort of the emotional healthcare advocate and the caretaker for the patient, to also making sure you know that they're getting all of the technical medical stuff as well. It's it's un- unbelievable, but it doesn't sound like the apple falls far from the tree. Your family sounds uh, very accomplished. Well, you know, I I, I think um, you know I. I think back when I was young, I wanted to be a physician since I was uh, in grade school. And in high school, you know, people, you know, I, I talked to other doctors and, and other people in healthcare and said, well, if I want to go to medical school, if I want to be a doctor, how do I really know if I want to do this? And unanimously, everyone said, go and volunteer. So I volunteered in an emergency room. And guess what the doctor said to me, G, when I asked them, well, how do I know what a patient's feeling or how do I know what's going on with a patient? All the doctors said to me, go talk to the nurse. 
Right. The nurse really knows. Uh-huh. Um, knows better than I do, and knows you know has has the feel for the patients, and and really has the pulse on what's happening. Makes sense. So this entire um, with this elective surgeries, I was told that this is happening across the board. That all hospitals are sort of trying to conserve um, equipment and operating. Rooms and then also it protects also the healthcare workers as well to make sure that you're not you're only doing sort of emergency surgeries. Yeah, that's right. So, so G, you're you're actually on the front lines and you don't even know it, but but you're part of what's called reemergence. There's this this concept that that um, our our state officials and the federal officials have have mentioned a few times this idea of reemergence in healthcare, in which we are. We are, the, the healthcare system is reemerging, is coming back from the crisis in new ways. And uh, before reemergence, we didn't do these elective surgeries or you know things that might be able to be put off for a little while. Gallbladder surgery, for example, if someone's not having pain and not having an infection. Uh, joint replacement surgeries, those are examples, as opposed to more urgent or emergency surgeries, like let's say bypass surgery, mm-hmm. you know, open heart surgeries or brain surgeries. Um, you know, in, in our healthcare system, in Amita, we have a phenomenal group of people and two big physician leaders, so Dr. Stuart Marcus and Reinhold Urena, who are coordinating over 30 work groups and task forces, G, to help our healthcare system reemerge. But healthcare systems throughout the nation are doing this, and especially here in the Chicago area. So from the from the hospital side, what we call the acute side, which is what you've experienced, you know, your your surgery was was you know kind of postponed or put on hold for a little bit until we had a chance to make sure that we had enough gloves and gowns and masks. Um, we had enough hospital beds to handle patients coming in for surgery and, and enough hospital beds for for emergencies coming through the ER and at the same time handle all the COVID patients um, that are hospitalized right now. Well, it's interesting, too, I was hearing Vic Vaughn's news report that this has been in, not doing elective surgeries has really put a lot of hospitals at financial risk throughout the country, especially the the smaller ones that maybe aren't part of a big medical group. It definitely has. And, and, and this crisis is, has highlighted um, uh, a lot of the challenges that we have nationally from, from a healthcare standpoint, you know, uh, healthcare overall is a huge part of our, of our economy, but the margins, the financial margins for hospitals are actually really small compared to other types of um, businesses and and enterprises. Um, so when a hospital doesn't have that volume of these elective surgeries, like gallbladder surgery mm-hmm. or joint replacement surgery, um, the hospitals oftentimes suffer financially. Um, some hospitals are faring better than others. Some health systems... Um, have have more financial reserve, others don't. Right. Oof. Okay. Well, let's move on to um, some COVID-19 information. I've been hearing a lot about, of course, we can't find a thermometer. You still can't find one at the drugstore or, or Target or Walmart or anything, or even online. There's really expensive ones, but not really affordable ones that you can find. But also, it seems like everyone's now buying a home pulse oximeter. 
Pulsex seminars are are what what I could call what my teenage kids would call an epic invention. Gee, <laughs> um, I I really wish I'd actually invented it. It's it's a it's a device that comes in different shapes and sizes, but the most popular ones are kind of like those alligator clips or something. Okay, and it's probably what you had when you were in the hospital yes. on your finger. Yes, I did. And, yeah, yeah, and it's really cool because what it does is um, use infrared light. To measure how much oxygen is flowing through your bloodstream by bouncing that infrared light off of the red blood cells and the hemoglobin inside those red blood cells. So the hemoglobin carries, so going back to, to health class, you know, in high school, um, hemoglobin carries the oxygen throughout your body. And so the idea is that depending on how much oxygen is in those red blood cells and on that, on that hemoglobin molecule, you can identify um, how well someone's breathing and how much oxygen is being used by the body. A normal range G is, is you know, it goes by percentage. So perfect is 100%. Normal is typically 90% and above. And, um, you know, we spoke last week about the new CDC symptom list for COVID-19. Mm-hmm. And over the past several weeks, we've heard about fevers. We also heard about shortness of breath or difficulty breathing. And so one of the objective measures we use to see if that shortness of breath is dangerous is by checking that pulse oximeter. So these pulse oximeters have been, you know, jumping off the shelves everywhere. Um, so people have them at home and, and to monitor themselves. From my standpoint as a physician, G, um, it's actually a helpful piece of information because when when we are doing, when doctors in the outpatient setting are doing uh, telemedicine visits, mm-hmm. um, we need information. You know, we can see someone over the Zoom chat line, but, you know, we can't, we can't tell how well they're oxygenating. The pulse ox does it for us. It does it for us. Okay. So is this something that we should buy and have at home? Oh, good grief! If uh, if I said yes, <laughs> everyone's going to wonder where to get it. And uh, um, it's it's useful, you know. Uh, before the COVID nineteen uh, crisis, um, the typical person who would have these at home would be folks with chronic lung conditions like emphysema um, or pulmonary fibrosis, people who have um, chronic. Uh, heart conditions like congestive heart failure, because the oxygen levels can tell us if someone's stable or not stable, whether they have to come into the office or they need a change in medicines or even need to be hospitalized. Okay. All right. We've got a lot more to talk about with uh, Dr. Jonathan Max from Amita Health, including what does the second wave mean exactly? When is it going to come? We're also going to be talking about blood thinners as well. So all that coming up, 312-981-7200. If you have a question for Dr. Jonathan Max. 312-981-7200, back with Amita Health Internal Medicine, Dr. Jonathan Max. Dr. Max, before we talk to you about the second wave, what it means and when it will come, because I know you have your crystal ball right there in front of you, um, wanted to ask you, you know, during my time in the hospital, I was asking about the antibody tests and hearing that a lot of them are very unreliable. Yeah, that's right. That's right. There's there's two main types of tests available for COVID-19 right now, G. Um, the, the one type is the antibody test that you're referring to. Sometimes people call it um, serology tests. 
And those are tests that, that take a sample of a person's blood and measures the antibodies or the, um, or the ways in which the body has fought an infection. Um, and, try and, and the antibody tests try to measure um, whether or not you've been exposed or ideally immune to, to COVID-19. The second type of test is a test that measures uh, DNA or RNA um, so genetic material, what are called nucleotides, from the actual virus. The most commonly used tests right now um, are those nucleotide tests, um, also known as PCR tests. Um, these tests will tell you whether or not you actually have the virus in your body, and those, that's probably the test that you had done when that, that um, swab was stuck mm-hmm. all the way in the back of your nose yes. um, at the hospital. And those those are those are pretty reliable tests, but we don't have enough of them around. The the newer antibody or serology tests that you're referring to is is another type of test that's coming to market. There's over ninety or so of these that are being evaluated by the FDA. The challenge here, G, is that we really don't know how reliable they really are. We don't know if these these antibodies that our body produces suggests that someone is actually immune to the illness. We're not sure if the antibodies actually are just for COVID-19 or for one of the other many coronaviruses that, that infect humans. You know, one of the interesting things, G, is that um, most of our common colds, as we call them, you know, and mm-hmm. people say, oh, yeah, I just got a cold, or you see the doctor, and he says, you're okay, you just have a virus. Most of those, G, are actually cousins to COVID-19. Oh, wow. So, so we don't really know if these antibody tests are, are truly worthy or not. Um, hopefully they will be. But, um, you know, science is what drives healthcare. And if we don't have the science and data behind the tests, we can't rest our laurels on them. Mm-hmm. And they're just another option out there, but maybe not the best option at this time. So we've been hearing a lot about second wave of coronavirus. I mean, what does that exactly mean, and and when will that happen? So um, I'm going to give you four four words as 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 my my response. <laughs> we just don't know. Okay, we just don't know. Yeah. It's um, it, there's there's a lot of research into pandemics like COVID nineteen, and if we use history to guide us, gee. Um, there, there are uh, a lot of possibilities. So let's use the 1918 flu pandemic as an example. The 1918 flu pandemic actually had three waves of influenza that, that crossed the world over a two-year time span. Wow. The first one was actually pretty mild, and that was before it was declared a pandemic. The second one was really severe later in the year. And then a third wave that was kind of a moderate, not as, not as severe wave came up. Um, and then um, on top of that, in retrospect, we found that there were two or even three strains of that influenza virus circulating over those, over those, two, year, those two year time span. Now, when we look at, we use that information and information from the H1N1 pandemic in 2009, we look at SARS and MERS more recently. Um, there's, there are different schools of thought of, of the second wave of a kind of resurgence of COVID-19. And a lot of specialists, especially infectious disease specialists, will, will throw these 
these waves into actually three different buckets. There's one possibility that, that a second wave will occur that will be really severe okay. after kind of a, a mild time. There's a, 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 another possibility where we have um, this big COVID outbreak, and then we have several small ones afterwards, kind of like aftershocks after following an earthquake. Okay. And the third possibility for the second wave is actually where there's kind of just kind of a slow burn where, you know, every month there are fewer and fewer cases and then just disappears. Out of, out the bottom of, line is we just don't know. Out of those three scenarios, is there one that scientists and healthcare professionals think is the best, best uh, scenario? I, I, I think the the experts are all, all across the board here. Um, yeah. One thing that all the experts do agree upon is that what we do need is something called herd immunity or broad immunity. Oh, you might have mm-hmm. heard of those terms before with yes. other types of uh, viruses and, and um, illnesses. And so the idea is that if enough people are immune to a pathogen, to to a virus or bacteria, whatever the case is. So here, COVID-19, if we have a certain percentage, then everyone's actually protected and this that type of illness just kind of goes away. The magic number is around 70%. Okay. 70% of people should have immunity in order to have the herd immunity. Now, here's the problem, G, with, with this concept, though, that, that people are worried about. Two recent studies published in the literature looked at how many in a particular area are immune to COVID-19. One study was done in L.A. County, so the city of Los Angeles and mm-hmm. some of the surrounding municipalities. And and the study tested every single person they can get their hands on. They tested, I think, you know, three or 4,000 people. Only 6% of those people were considered immune. Now, 6% is a long way from 70%. Um, for this this herd immunity or broad immunity that we would need in order to to have COVID kind of die out and go away. Well, where I had heard herd immunity come up a lot was in regards to Sweden's approach um, of sort of not really forcing people to stay at home or closing down restaurants or businesses because Sweden was just trying to bring on herd immunity. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's that's another big area of research and of discussion um, because mm-hmm. we know that there probably will be some sort of second wave, whether it's or you know, whether it's a slow burn right. or these aftershocks. Um, there, there's an international effort to study the effectiveness of COVID responses. You know, all uh, over the world, them by country. Uh-huh. And looking at a a country like Sweden or Germany and their approach compared to countries like Italy, you know, why, why were there such so few deaths in Hong Kong, Mm -hmm. a city of or uh, uh, area of 8 million people compared to Italy, where there are a high number of COVID deaths. Right. And so there are no results from this World Health Organization study, but the concept is is exactly what you're discussing, is, is the idea of, of looking at these variables, and those variables are, are kind of patterns. You know, how quickly did, did that country respond? What types of interventions did, did, they, did they undertake? Did they wait for this herd immunity to develop and kind of let it run its course? 
or do they lock down everything in a very, very rapid manner? Mm-hmm. We, we just don't know yet, and, and we're studying it, and hopefully we'll have answers sooner than later. Yeah, I hope so. So, Dr. Max, just a last question before we have to let you go. We've been hearing a lot about blood thinners potentially helping patients. There, there's, there's some really fascinating research, G, about um, about the what's called the pathophysiology of COVID nineteen of the way that COVID nineteen affects those sickest of the sick patients. Now, remember that eighty or even ninety percent of people with COVID nineteen have few or no symptoms. So, mm-hmm. only ten or fifteen percent of people are thought to get sick enough to end up getting hospitalized. Um, and then you take that's a subset of those folks who are super, super sick, and we're finding that one of the problems with these super sick folks is that the body's own immune system overwhelms itself, and, and then the body gets all these little blood clots in mm-hmm. the body. And those blood clots affect the legs, affect the arms, the heart, the, the liver, the spleen, the brain, and so... An intervention there so that we can give the body time to heal and get over the infection is to give people blood thinners. Now, it sounds like it makes no sense. Why would a blood thinner help someone with COVID-19? Well, it helps prevent those little blood clots, and those blood clots can be fatal, and those blood clots cause that end organ damage and the sepsis and, and the unfortunately fatal outcomes. This is all so fascinating. And Dr. Max, the fact that you know about extensively about all of these topics. Absolutely incredible. Uh, Thank you so much for being on the front lines and staying on top of all the new literature and research. We really appreciate it and also being able to share that with us in terms that we can understand. So thank you so much for being with us, Dr. Max. It's it's my pleasure, G. And I I want to share something with you. You mentioned earlier about your experience with the hospital gowns. In my my 20-plus years of practice, I ask every single one of my patients, can you help me design a better <laughs> I gown? Will. I will help you. If, if you do that, I guarantee you, I promise you that I'll be first in line to buy your whole shipment. Fantastic. Because we need new gowns, better gowns. This could be the ticket. This could be my ticket to <laughs> financial freedom. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Max. Really appreciate it. You take care, okay? Thanks, G. Stay safe. Same to you. Uh, Dr. Jonathan Max from Amita Health Internal Medicine.